think I spent two or three days like what I would call like kerplunking or what my friend and I used to call like data mining on Instagram. And I'd like go to a gallery that I thought was cool and then I'd like look at their followers and then I'm like, okay, this person's a painter, this person's an artist or a performing artist. I'd find all these people. I had an Excel sheet with their names, their emails, where I thought they might live, I think I had as well. Oh, you were and diligent. I, oh, I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> My research is like, yeah, I'm crazy. So I made this Excel document of a hundred and it's either 125 or 150 people. And I just cold emailed them and cold invited them to my pop-up. Um, and it was truly, I can probably find one of the emails. It's like, Hey, we've never met, just heard of you like through Instagram. I'm doing this pop-up, um, on September or whatever, please come by. I'd love for you to see it. And that was it. And the crazier part is that people came, like people, I'm telling you personal touches, like fail, like fail safe. This is Claim of Stories, a show about leading and emerging BIPOC creatives and how they're able to claim their dream careers. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. And on today's show, we learn how designer Shannon Maldonado claimed her career as the founder and owner of Yowie. Growing up in Philly, she would have never imagined her love of making trinkets and clothes with her mom would lead to over 10 years as a children's clothing designer to packing up her life and moving back home to follow her passion. She shares how the guidance of her high school art teachers fed her big city dreams of moving to New York and going to design school. Her journey from getting a peek behind the curtain at Rockaware at the peak of their success to landing a job at American Eagle's 77 Kids as a designer. But Shannon felt a pull home that would change her trajectory forever. After cultivating a 10-year career as a designer, she decided to pack up, move back home with her parents, and her love of ceramics would inspire her to expand Yowie. With a fun and uniquely personal approach to e-com, Shannon saw an opening to take her promising online shop to brick and mortar. In our conversation ahead, Shannon recalls how she used to sell items that she made to her friends back home. I don't know if I'd call it a business. I was like selling weird things to my friends. I don't think I would call it a business. I was like, what were some of these things? Making little pouches. Okay. There were like little felt pouches with a zipper or like a top that I found that I'd like cut the sleeves off and like bedazzle or put stuff on. It, it was like very arts and crafts, very DIY. It was not a business. Do you remember? I probably wasn't even making any money. I was just like getting money for more supplies yeah. to make more weird things to sell to people. Yeah. <laughs> How did you like? How did you and your mom start doing this? Is just one day you're just like looking for things to do, or did you like gravitate towards it because you had seen something? I think I think if I look back, it started because my mom has always made clothing for us. Like my mom has always made um, our Easter outfits. Like Easter was a big thing in my family, and she's always made Christmas outfits for us and all of our Halloween costumes. I've never worn. I don't think my siblings either. We've never worn a store-bought costume. Oh, Our wow. costumes were always handmade and very elaborate too, like not just like a box or something. Like my mom is really good at sewing. So I think it started from there and then maybe graduated to me wanting to express myself through clothing. Mm-hmm. So I probably went to my mom was like, I want to make this thing. Can you show me how? And that's probably how the conversation started. <laughs> but um, 
I think it also became a way for us to bond through everything that was going mm-hmm. on. You know, it was like, it was our thing. A like, way to spend time my together. My sister's never, mm-hmm. yeah, my sister's never been that into it. Neither was my brother. So um, the street that my shop is on is where we used to shop for fabric. It's called Fabric Grow. Okay. So we'd come down here and get like, uh, what's called notions, so like zippers and buttons and trims and stuff and fabric, and we'd make stuff together. But I think it was a mix of we wanting to get that skill from her that I was always so admired so mm-hmm. much. And then for us to to share some time together, that was um, preciously ours, like only ours. Right, right. Because being, yeah. I mean, growing up in, in a family with multiple kids, you're, you're probably mm-hmm. having to split time with your parents in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then this was like that one thing to you that you're like, I don't have to split this with anyone because yeah, <laughs> neither one totally. of you know how to do this. It's just me and mom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. After evolving past pouches, if you will, and some of these little trinkets you were making, <laughs> did you ever get into making different types of garments or even, you know, going as far as making like a collection of something at a young age? I did. I I don't remember what year it was. I want to say I was in high school. I think I was in high school. I did a little fashion show at our church <laughs> at the time and we spent so much time on it. Like I, I really do look back at it as such a special time between me and my mom because she helped you with everything and we made full garments like tops and bottoms. Some friends from the neighborhood um, model did and like everyone came like everyone from the neighborhood it was so cute but I I, that was my first collection I think before officially deciding I wanted to go to school for fashion design and it was so fun I mean I look back on some pictures now I'm like oh my god this stuff is horrible but (laughs) what was the feedback like were people loving it like and you know sometimes it's family so they might not you know tell you all the different things you might learn I mean (laughs) it was of the time so it worked in the time but like I look back on that time period of clothing, I'm like, yikes, but it, it worked in the time. It was like minimal, like uh, solid colored garments, but then there was a lot of, I love embellishment. Like I don't really do it much at Yowie, but I love like Swarovski crystals and sequins and stuff. So there was a lot of like bursts of things coming off of garments. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was very actually similar to where I landed because it was very bright and colorful. I do remember yeah. that. I think it's so funny, like we evolve as people, but so much of the stuff I worked on as a kid is stuff that now, if I saw it, I'd be like, oh, that's so yaoi, hmm. like then, you know, now. So it was very colorful and very sparkly. And when you're, yeah. when you're creating this collection, <laughs> were you, at the time, you know, were you drawing things or were you just going straight to kind of sewing and and maybe seeing some stuff that you like and maybe doing a riff off of that like how was what was that kind of process like I I was a huge illustrator when I was a kid I I won't jump out of frame but maybe I'll show you at the end of the interview I randomly was cleaning this weekend and I have all these sketchbooks uh from when I was younger at the shop like that I had a storage unit and then I brought some stuff here but um I used to love sketching like I, I miss it sometimes it really is so fun to me so I would sketch things that I wanted to make. I would sketch things just that I saw, um, sketch ideas like stories and stuff. I've always kind of lived in a a fantasy world inside of my real Mm -hmm. life in some ways. And not everything that I sketch would become something, but I just had to kind of get it out onto the page. Um, But yeah, I I love, love drawing, (laughs) love illustration. That's so cool. (laughs) I'm just always fascinated with with people that are able to draw and and really use use their hands in that way to kind of bring ideas to life, if you will. As you're going through high school and you're getting older into your teenage years, are you thinking, hey, I'm, I'm going to school for this, I'm going to start a collection? Or mm-hmm. what are you thinking you're going to do after high school? Is it like, I'm definitely going to mm-hmm. fashion? 
Oh, yeah. I was like, once I got it in my mind that I could go to school for fashion, because I think I didn't know it was a reality mm-hmm. until high school. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't get out of here fast <laughs> enough. And I can't get to New York fast How'd enough. How did you learn that? What um, did you, Was it like a yes. magazine or was it a guidance counselor or something like that? I think we talked about it in school because I definitely had a few art teachers that knew that I loved design and I loved art. And they were like, oh, you can actually go to uh, Moore College of Art in Philly or FIT in New York. Like this is, you know, something you can do. And I also think from being a kid that just I love magazines like so much and I, you know, coveted and collected magazines. I saw designers that I was like, oh, that's a job. Like people can actually do Mm -hmm. that. And even though I didn't, I still to this day don't really want um, a label that's like sits under my name. Mm -hmm. I just saw that there was someone I could even work for um, and be a designer. And that was really exciting to me. And then I, and then I could, you couldn't tell me to do anything else. There was no other options. And luckily my parents are both super supportive and were at the time. So I didn't have to be like, okay, mom, I'll go to med school for two years and then do this. Like, I was just like, I'm going to fashion school and this is the end. Like, that's <laughs> this, it. Is the, this is the one direction. You <laughs> yeah. can't talk me into yeah. trying that's, these other things. It. So yeah. so where did you end up deciding you wanted to go to school? Was there something in Philly or, or mm-hmm. where, where'd you go? No, I went to FIT. I needed to be in New York. Mm. Like every designer that I loved was in New York or LA um, or Europe, but Europe just felt too far mm-hmm. away and too crazy. So I was like, I have to get to New York. That's where... The creative people are like in my mind. It's like, <laughs> that's where everything is happening. Who were yeah. some of these uh, these people that you you admired? Yeah, I loved Isaac Mizrahi. Um, I loved Todd Oldham. I'm in my late 30s, so those are the designers at the time. Um, I admired like how the reach of Ralph Lauren. Like it was just like how is this this person make this brand that is just so eponymous with lux and prep and like you know this certain type of lifestyle certain type of person that you know a lot of people aspire to be so i thought that was really cool um and then a lot of the like um european designers i was obsessed with alexander mcqueen and uh hussein shalayan is still one of my favorite designers uh walter beard and doc um just these like really again i look back and i'm like oh of course like just these really disruptive designers that were designing for the sake of design and for a feeling like and some of the old McQueen shows I look at, I'm like, I get emotional just looking at them because they showed me that not everything had to be about commerce. Like, you know, of course his brand made money, but it, he's an artist, mm-hmm. like hands down. Um, and I just, he he really, I fell so much in love with everything that he did. To this day, I was looking at old, um, again, I said I was cleaning the other day and I was looking at these old magazine tears that I've accumulated for the last 20 years. And I had old ads of his, and I was just like, oh, my God. It, it took me back to my bedroom as a teenager and just thinking, wow, this is such a cool life to have, to be able to do this. It's it, it's funny that you mentioned McQueen because sometimes art, or I'm sorry, sometimes fashion is hard to understand. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's because it is expression. It is emotional. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily meant to be like, these are pants, right? Like, that's not yes, what, what exactly. they're trying to get across. It's it's wearable art, and it takes shape in, in many different forms. Mm-hmm. And so as a teenager, you obviously, you're connecting with this, mm-hmm. you get this, and you decide mm-hmm. you're going to FIT in New York. And mm-hmm. you're excited for this grand adventure, I have to imagine, right? Because yeah. had, you, had yeah. you been to New York before? Like, I think we had visited, like, I feel like my mom and I had made pilgrimages to <laughs> H&M of all places. <laughs> like when H&M first opened, it was like so cool. And like, wow, this store is really unique clothing and it's really affordable. Like, and I remember we'd go there for that and just to walk around and kind of see sites. So I'd been there before, but not for an extended period of time. Yeah. So this was like, yeah, 
as an adult, you don't have to be at home mm-hmm. with your siblings, your parents. So it, it's safe to yeah. say expectations and what you wanted out of it were, were quite high. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. your first week did not go as planned. So <laughs> what what happened? Yeah, so I think we got to school maybe a week or two before classes started, and I was just kind of getting, you know, um, used to the neighborhood. FIT is in Chelsea, um, so just getting acclimated. And the the Thursday, I think it was a Thursday, of our first week of school was 9-11. So I, I remember very distinctly being in my room, getting ready with my roommate, and seeing the first plane hit and being like, that was weird. Mm. Like, and we really, no one knew at that time, like, what was happening. We were just like, oh, that's scary. That was weird. And then the second plane hitting and just being like, wait, this is not right. Like, something is not right. Um, So we also ended up going to class. And at that time, you know, the news, kind of like the Capitol siege two weeks ago, it was just in real time. People were like, what is happening? We don't know what's happening. This is what we can see. This is what we can't see. Um, FIT is on off of 7th, it's between 7th and 8th. So like if you looked down 7th Avenue, you could see the building and the cloud of smoke from 7th all the way down. And it's probably about 30 blocks north of it. Um, but we really just, we didn't know anything. We just knew that we were in some sort of danger and that we probably should all go back to our rooms and just, you know, try to stay calm while things were happening. It, everything, it was so hard to get in touch with people that day. Like, I think when my phones finally started working again, I had like 45 voicemails from like family, friends, everyone just like trying to check on me. And obviously, of course, I was okay, but it was very, very scary. And I think um, to this day, I don't really like going into crowded, like to crowds, like from the time after that. Like, I was really scared to take the subway for months after wow. that. I ended up coming home for a few weeks just to like, you know, feel okay being in New York and even to get out of New York. I think it took me three days to leave New York. They weren't like, right. I, leave at I, had, I, I can only imagine um, that there's yeah. probably chaos. There is chaos happening oh, in crazy. the city. Yeah. And the university is obviously probably protective mm-hmm. of you all as, yep. as students. And so no one's really trying to let anyone go anywhere. And, I, and mm-hmm. I'm sure like your communication between your family mm-hmm. is just like, hey, like Shannon, what's going on? What can we do? Yeah. And I think if you're not, familiar with New York, you assume everything is really close to each other. So even though we were close enough to see what was happening from afar, nothing, we weren't in any immediate danger. So it was just like letting my family know, like, yes, it's not that far. It's, you know, subway stops away, but I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm in the basement of our uh, dorm. Um, I, I just remembered I returned to like, so I'm a big film lover, old films. And I remember just sitting in I think we were in the, either the basement or our rooms, like, and I ended up watching that movie, that old, I think it's, I don't know if it's David Lynch, but it's The Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember watching that movie to, like, of all movies, to, like, calm myself down. But, like, it just felt very chaotic and, like, there was nothing we could do but kind of stay put. And then the weeks and months following were almost even worse because New York felt like a police mm-hmm. state for a while there. Um, they sent in the National Guard and there were troops everywhere and, like, it just, it was a very strange way to start college. And also FIT is not a normal like college life experience anyway, because mm-hmm. it's like tucked in the middle of the city. So you're not like on a campus, a true campus. Right. So it was, it was a bit jarring, but obviously, you know, worked through those emotions. I wanted to stay. I was there to learn and there to, you know, um, live this dream of working in design and working in fashion. So I stuck with it, but it was definitely a very strange start yeah. to the whole thing. I can only imagine. Yeah. And so did you as this is happening and you're transitioning, you're processing, your family's trying to mm-hmm. help you analyze the situation. 
did you end up staying in New York? Did you feel like it was a safe place to still continue living there and going to school? Or did you have to kind of reevaluate how you were going to do that? I ended up staying for a year because my dorm was a year or my uh, like tenure at my dorm was mm-hmm. a year. But it definitely, it's this weird feeling. It's kind of, and it kind of returned to me a few weeks ago when something happens like that, you have this you obviously immense fear but you also have to you have to keep going. You have to live your mm-hmm. life. You know, I can't just not go to work out of fear of someone putting a bomb on the subway or right. something. You know, at the, which is how it, at the time there were bomb scares. There were everything wow. every week. So I think you just have this. You come back to this resolve of I have to keep going. So like we stayed in class. I feel like it brought a lot of our classmates closer. You know, obviously that we'd been there for this um, very historic, you know, horrible event. And then after that year, I ended up coming back to Philly and had a very, I, I was just talking to my partner about this week, like I had a very unorthodox college yeah. life. It's like that happened. And then I came back to Philly and then I commuted to New York for the rest of my time that I was in school. Jeez. So I didn't really even live there. You like, didn't get I to socialize there. really kind of like that. I socialized, but I was like, my foot, my footing was still so much back in Philly. Like my jobs were in Philly. I ended up cramming all my classes into a few days. So I would just go up to New York half the week, stay a couple times and then come back. So it was, it was weird. It's very surreal to think yeah. about. Like I, I did go to school in New York, but I feel like I was Living halfway in, there and halfway right. not. How long was that commute? And then in, like <laughs> back between Philly and New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ended up buying, um, at the time it was like, it was still expensive, but now it's outrageous. But I had a monthly Amtrak pass that I bought. So it was about an hour and 30 minutes um, both ways. So three hours. And I would not recommend <laughs> it. Yeah, I would not recommend it. Thank God for my mom and my aunts. They'd wake up and drive me to the train station at 4.45, 5 in the morning uh, for years that I did that. But um, yeah, it's, a, you know, like everything else in my life. I'm like, it made me stronger. It made me more resilient person. And I didn't want to give up because I couldn't afford to live in New York yet at that time. And I also just like wasn't mentally ready yet to live in New York after mm-hmm. that. It's amazing to, yeah. to just think about your level of commitment, to this this <laughs> direction you wanted to go in your life at such a, a young age, because it's things like that that could definitely, you know, create this gap essentially in mm-hmm. you and that goal, because you, you could have come, come back to Philly and been like, okay, I tried it yeah. and I'm going to move on. But in fact, you move back to Philly you're commuting to school, mm-hmm. which is three hours total time a day. And yeah. in like 2002, maybe you might correct me here, but mm-hmm. you got an internship at Rockaware, which is like one of the <laughs> hottest labels at that point in time. This is Jay-Z's label. And so I, I got to ask you, how do you get an internship at, at Rockaware at this time? I think we got it through school. Huh. I think the school had like a, a program where they set you up. I know in the last... I think it was 2003 or 2004 because it was in the last two years. I think you do internships at different places. And I'm pretty sure I just got placed there. I can't remember if I got placed or if it was through a friend, but I think I got placed there. Um, I was working in the kids department of Rockaware, which is really funny. Um, And it was like state property was really big then, the state property line. I know it feels like 100 years ago. Um, And I think being from Philly, I was so proud to be like, wow, like I'm working at Rockaway and like Beanie Seagulls, like clothing (laughs) line. Freeway and all these cats. (laughs) Yeah, Freeway. I'm like, I'm from South Philly. Somebody talk to me. Um, But yeah, it was interesting. I think it was one of those funny first moments when it's like the 
not don't meet your heroes, but like you just see how things really behind are. Behind the curtain. You know what I mean? Like I, you behind the curtain, <laughs> yeah. So like it wasn't a bad experience, but I was like, oh, okay. It's not what I expected. It's like an office, like a normal <laughs> office. People are doing their jobs. They're just wearing sweatpants and jeans. Yeah. Like it's fine. It's like they're yeah, cubicles. But, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. They're cubicles. I'm still getting my boss's lunch every day. Wow. It's a normal job, yeah. but I definitely had fun while I was there yeah. and saw lots of fun things. What yeah. was like, what do you remember like, outside of, of getting coffee like were there like tangible <laughs> learning moments that came with kind of being the intern at that point or was it really kind of just like paying dues it was a paying dues internship I, I definitely I think towards the end I got to see more of the design process um and it was kind of I think they were the department I was in was in a place of like and I've worked for now a couple children's wear com- children's wear companies mm-hmm. where you have to decide if you're going to make your own product or if you're going to do takedowns from the adult product mm. line. So I got to see some of that and how I think my um, boss at the time was trying to find his voice or trying to find his way through that conversation. But I think it was mostly paying your dues and like, I don't regret it at all because now I've had interns and I'm kind of like, that part is is good. You need, you need the paying your dues moment where you're like, uh, cleaning stuff and running errands and you just understand that it's not just like fun and design every day. <laughs> like there, there's actual uh, other things that, that make, need to get done. Product right. Exactly. Right. Well, exactly. well, after that, like it was a great place kind of for you to cut your teeth, if you will. And, <laughs> and after that, you you go on to work at Tommy Hilfiger. You you go on mm-hmm. to work at, at Ralph Lauren in 2007. Mm-hmm. And then you, you land... Um, a design role at a place that you're at for a couple of years, which is American mm-hmm. Eagle Outfitters. Um, tell mm-hmm. me a, a little bit about what you were designing there. Were you were you focused mm-hmm. on 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 children's as well? Yeah. So my my time at E, I was actually there most in my career at that point. I ended up being there almost nine years before I left in 2016. Mm-hmm. But I owe so much to that company as far as like everything I learned there. Um, I, when I was interviewing there, I had a portfolio full of children's wear designs because that was my minor in school. That was my passion at the time. And that's what I did at Rockaware and even at Ralph. Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous and I was like, I'm never going to get this job because I was applying for a women's wear position at the time at, at American Eagle. And just like I, I tell people all the time, like I, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm an atheist, but I do believe in right time, right place, serendipity and luck and chance. And it just so happened that when I was interviewing, they were in the process of starting a children's wear line called 77 Kids. And the woman was like, I can't tell, you can't tell anyone this. It's confidential. Um, This is crazy timing, but we're starting a kid's line. Like, would you want to join us? And I'm like, what are the chances? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So it was just like really crazy timing. And that experience working at 77 Kids is really what was the foundation when I look back for Yowie because we were like a startup within American Eagle. We were in a different building. There was only six of us because there were so few of us and it was so new. Like we got to talk about marketing. I got to travel a ton. We were part of every part of the design process and we really felt like we were building something really special. Um, and at the time we were just like, oh my God, we're going to be like the next Gap Kids. This is so cool. <laughs> like we were, so we were just so in love with the process and the product. Um, And of course, as these things go, like, you know, it was romantic. It was amazing. And then we got a new CEO and he's like, uh, this isn't making any money. It's got to go. And he closed it immediately. Wow. So So we like, we had four good years. We opened stores. Uh, I still am so proud of the, the clothes we designed there. And even the campaigns we did were really like, 
really cool kids, all races, all sizes. It was great. Yeah. So like, it was a really fun thing to be a part of. But then it closed. And with that, me and a handful of other people got moved into the women's department. Mm -hmm. So I moved over to women's denim. Mm -hmm. Some people moved to other places. And um, that was huge. Like at the time that I joined the team, American Eagle had the largest market share of denim in America. Mm. So I'm designing denim for millions of people, mm -hmm. which is like, which was my dream as a kid. Like I said, I never wanted to have my own line. I just wanted to work with a big designer that like I could walk down the street and see something and be like, oh, I, yeah, that was a part of that. So yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So like that's my like dream for my designs and even Yowie at times. Um, but I did that for a while and then I also moved into outerwear before I left. But I'm a, I think if you, if you know designers, like I'm a Wolven's designer, I'm not a Knits designer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just love all those categories, but I love outerwear. I love denim. Uh, I love woven tops. I did a little bit of knitwear at Urban Freelance, but woven jackets and woven bottoms. That was my, your, your wheelhouse. Stuff. Yeah. Well, one of the things you mentioned was you, you loved kind of the traveling aspect of, of your role. Oh my God. I love traveling. What were, what yeah. were some of the places you were going because of, uh, design research and, and maybe even just travel so for, uh, you know, making clothing. What were some of those places? Yeah. So like before, I think I got a passport at the end of college. We went to Italy for like a group design trip. Mm -hmm. But before that, the furthest I'd been was Florida. Like, I, my family did not have lavish yeah, vacations yeah. as a child. Like, that's just, we did not have that kind of money. Um, so I think my first trip with American Eagle, I think, was to Hong Kong for a production mm -hmm. trip. So you, there's different types of trips in fashion. There's production trips. There's um, R&D trips. There's... Uh, comp shopping trips, which is like the dream trip. You literally get paid to go shopping and look at stuff, which is insane. And I just remember just, just getting off the plane and like getting to my hotel and being like, this is my job? Like, this is so crazy. Like, I am a kid from South Philly. I'm in Hong Kong and like, I'm gonna meet my coworkers at an hour and have dinner in this really cool place and then walk around and explore. And I just, I love seeing other places. I love meeting people in new places. Um, and I just like exploring, like probably to my detriment at times. Like I remember, I think the second trip, I'm really good at um, landmarks. Mm -hmm. So I think the second trip I went to Hong Kong, I like got off at a random train station and then like made my way back. And I remember telling my coworker, and they're like, what? And I was like, I was like, it seems pretty safe. I'm fine. And I was just like walking around with my headphones on, like, I'll find my way back to the hotel. So like, that's my travel in a nutshell. Like, I love to see all kinds of places. Yeah. I make very crazy itineraries now if, if I get to travel. But I've been to Hong Kong, uh, Paris, London, Copenhagen, the Philippines, India, Vietnam. I'm sure I'm missing some. Uh, yeah. So lots of places. And, I'll leave it at that. So I don't sound like a complete jerk. <laughs> but yeah, I've been to lots of places through my old job. <laughs> so these places, though, are you in, in the shopping part? Are you bringing things back? Like, are, are there things? Are you going shopping, too? And and there's items that you're just like, I, I don't have these in New York and I've never seen this growing up in Philly. Like, what what's that experience? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I think that was one of my favorite parts is visiting local markets, Um seeing different brands that I'd just only seen in magazines. Mm -hmm. Like the first time I went to the Capitol store in Japan, I was like very emotional. I'm like, oh my God, I've been obsessed with this brand for a decade and now I'm here <laughs> touching the products and seeing the designers sewing. So it, it was really cool to um, actually experience that. And I will always bring something home. Mm -hmm. So whether it was like a funny t-shirt or 
a little knickknack or a magnet or a chain or something. I would always, or ceramic, which is, I think, part of what led to Yaoi. I'd always bring something home. I wanted to ask you, as you've been, as you were traveling and as you were getting more experience working in these different brands that you worked at, did you ever think that you wanted to start your own thing? Like, where, where was your head at on that? Um... I would say yes and no. I don't think it hit me till later in my career. I think for a long time, I thought I would just become a creative director um, and I'd be okay with that. But I think I saw what, I feel like I saw working for other people that it maybe wasn't quite the role. Kind of like what I said earlier about Rock, where I was like peeking behind the curtain. I was like, oh, maybe that's not as creative a position as I want to be in. I like being in the stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I like doing stuff, even if, I think there becomes a hierarchy of fashion design where people are like, no, that's not your job anymore. That's not who I am. I, I have owned my store for almost five years. I still pack packages all the time. <laughs> I still call utility companies yeah. and deal with customer service. Like, I just like being a well-rounded creative and individual and part of the process. So once I saw that maybe that wasn't quite what I would want, I think that's when the light bulb was set off in probably like 2014, 2015 of maybe I should do something else that would challenge me in different ways. And I think I just wasn't being challenged anymore mm. for me yeah. creatively. Um, what When you work in like um, that, that kind of like almost like fast fashion, mall fashion, you become like uh, you're doing versions of versions of versions of what you've, of done. What you've done. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, we love that jacket from last year, but can you do it for 20 bucks cheaper and a different color? And I'm like, sure. But like, it's, you know what I mean? It just becomes a different type of it's more strategic design than creative design um and i think i just kind of hit a wall with that totally yeah because you're you felt like creatively you probably weren't feeling like you were able to kind of explore to the boundaries mm -hmm. or even going to the edges of some of these mm -hmm. things it just was like about the business and kind of being conservative mm -hmm. about those things so when you started to get to that point what were some of the ideas that were were coming to your your head of what you might do for a business um I think I just wanted it to be the opposite of what I was, was currently doing. I was like, I don't know how to make ceramics. I'd love to sell ceramics. I don't know how to make rugs or books or, you know, these other products. Like, I'm like, I can design a pair of jeans or a jacket in my sleep, but these are things I, I have no idea how to do. And I think the idea of learning again was really enticing to me to learn a new skill mm -hmm. um, and to also create a brand like like I said, when you when you become this, you know, billion dollar company that my company was, it does become about comps, you know, what are called comps, like making yep. more than you did right. last year, um, increasing revenue, increasing your margins. And I wanted to do something that like, I purposely didn't want to make money as crazy as that. <laughs> I was like the first year I was like, I'm going to move back to Philly so that my cost of living is low. Mm. And like, it's not about making money. It's just about like me learning the process of curating a brand and working with artists and like we'll see what happens and that like truly was like I I knew I had to make money somehow which is why I freelanced at Urban but the goal was not to make money from Yowie in the beginning right. and what was it at, in the beginning what was it in the beginning was it yeah it was is 12 products okay. that was the first collection uh May 2016 it was 12 products I don't I can't rattle them off but I know it was like a ceramic a rug I think it was a mirror we didn't have books yet. It was a mix of like objects. Mm -hmm. And at the time I had this very like, I, again, I told you I love movies. I'm very dramatic. So it was like, 
the the collection was called Saturday Afternoon in mm. Bed Stuy and had this like really fun copy. And I also felt like that was missing in the home space. Everything was very straightforward. Like this is a mug. It's four inches tall. It's three <laughs> inches wide, and it's made of clay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, let's say that this mug looks like Danny DeVito, and like it's kind of funny. Like let's make it a little more playful. So I, I just I love writing. So I, I just worked on the copy. I had a really good old friend uh, from high school shoot all the photography. And we made these 12 items feel like the most important items that you'd ever seen. Like that was the wow, point. wow. And so how did you yeah. <laughs> how did you get them to people? Like if somebody wanted to to, mm-hmm. to buy them, how were they gonna come across Yowie? So the first email blast was like friends and family. Okay. Um, and I had them obviously share it with their friends. How I would get it to them is I would get up out of my bed and I would walk to the other side of the room where all the products were and I would pack it up (laughs) because all of it was in my bedroom. (laughs) Yeah, we started on the other side of my bedroom. Uh, So it was a very small supply chain uh, (laughs) pipeline. And um, I hand wrote notes like I really I think I put confetti in the first like two years of products in the thank you notes. That stuff is, I tell everyone that asks me for advice, like that is the most important thing is personal touches. That will never get old. That will never be replaced by a computer or by quick shipping. Like people love that stuff. Mm. And understandably, like I love when people send me postcards and notes, like artists I work with, like every time I go, I'm like, oh my God, this is so Mm -hmm. nice. Like it really does something for you that those other things just cannot. So yeah, they just walked across the room. That's how I got them the stuff. That's amazing. <laughs> so tell me about, um, I want to take a step back. So when you, you're you making this decision that you're going to step away from this corporate career that you've been cultivating mm-hmm. over a decade, and you're mm-hmm. going to start a business and become an entrepreneur, um, also mm-hmm. thinking about that there aren't a ton of success stories when it comes to women of color being successful entrepreneurs and, mm-hmm. and raising money. Um, did you have any reservations there? Did you have any kind Mm -hmm. of people in your ear saying, Hey, what, what, what are you doing? I think I had, I had some friends and family that I think are more, were more concerned for me. Just like, what if it doesn't work out? Like they were like, it sounds great. It looks fun. But like, no one was, no one was like, you shouldn't do this. They were just like, kind of what's a plan B? Like, I think was the cup, kind of what they're asking me. And I think for my New York friends, it was hard to understand me moving back to Philly. They're like, what's in Philly? And I'm like, opportunity, like no one's doing this mm-hmm. there. Like, no, like I will be able to do this with like no friction outside of my own fears and maybe the people there being like, wait, we don't know what this is. But I, I didn't feel as much of, um, I feel like for, for many reasons, I mean, mostly financial, but like, I didn't feel like it was possible in New York mm. to do what I wanted to do. And then I felt like we would just be another shop among because there's you know, hundreds so much, and thousands of yeah. shops. There's so much saturation. Whereas I'd come back to Philly and I'm like, wait, there's only like four shops mm. here. How is that possible? So you saw like, opportunity. Tons. There's still opportunity. I've been back almost five years and there's still tons of opportunity here um, to open things. And I think it's a harder city to do it. Um, it's more of a blue collar city. We have a huge art scene here. It's not that everyone's like, you know, uh, works for the government or something, but it's not It's not as much disposable income as in New York where everyone is constantly just shop, walking around shopping. shopping. Like it's part of their yeah. week. It's just like, oh, I'm going to stop at the store. So it's an opportunity um, and it just felt like a good challenge, which I, I was craving at that time. I was like, I want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm walking towards the fire and I want to be challenged. When we come back in just a moment, we learn how starting over in her hometown 
helped grow Yali in the friendliest way possible and how Shelter in Place has helped her business and inspired her to give back. Hey everyone, the Claim of Stories podcast is supported by Converse. If you're a fan of Chuck 70s like we are, be sure to visit Converse.com and pick up a new pair. Our podcast is also made possible with the support of partners like Pacific Outdoor Advertising. In fact, we partnered with them to create an amazing billboard highlighting season two. Pacific Outdoor Advertising is the Northwest leader in outdoor advertising with extensive coverage throughout Seattle, Portland, Tacoma, Salem, and surrounding communities. Learn more by visiting them at PacificOutdoorAdvertising.com. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to Claim of Stories. Shannon has started Yowie Online and left New York to return home to Philly. Our conversation picks up with Shannon describing her experience with finding the perfect brick-and-mortar location. I tell people not to do what I did because <laughs> it's the opposite of how you're supposed to do it. Uh, you're supposed to look at like 10 plus places and pick the best one. Um, I picked the one that felt the most um, personal to mm. me and the one that I thought was in a neighborhood that was kind of up and coming, but also had a lot of history. Mm -hmm. So like I'm sitting in my store right now. And like I said, it's on Fabric Row in Queen Village, which is like a really cool neighborhoody, very traditional South Philly neighborhood. Like a lot of neighborhoods in Philly have changed. This one has not changed very much. And that's what I love about Mm it. And it's just blocks from South Street, which is a place that I hung out as a teenager and as a kid. It's kind of like our um, St. Mark's place. I'd say it was like the closest thing to it. So I chose it based on, I was like, this is a place I know in my heart, there's something here. There's something special about this neighborhood, this block. It's very like artsy and crunchy. There's old and new businesses, which was a big factor for me. I'm very much about like cross-generational relationships. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to just be in a new, Mm -hmm. cool, young neighborhood. (laughs) My neighbors have had their business for 35 years. Uh, two doors down across the street over a decade next door seven years like uh, that's cool Mm -hmm. to me like that's a foundation that I want to be a part of that's something I want to join so that was the emotional factors and then like it was affordable because it was in this kind of up-and-coming neighborhood and again I I just any financial pressure I could take off Yowie I was doing at the time I was like we're not hiring anybody I'm going to do everything Mm -hmm. we're going to have a cheap storefront my friend's going to help me fix it up (laughs) And we can just have fun. Yeah. And that I do think that that's why um, the, the strength of the brand is that we, we didn't, I didn't go into it being like, we have to become this million dollar brand. I still don't feel that mm-hmm. way five years later. You have, um, it's about the love of the design. Right. You, you have a different yeah. set of um, goals that allow you to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, determined that the amount of money we made this year determines mm-hmm. if we were successful or not. You have yeah. different. Uh, KPIs, if you will, to to kind of yes, to rank totally. that, right? And so, totally. when you the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about the building was, did you have a broker or like how? Like it was just it was no. just you. <laughs> I saw a sign and I called the guy. It's also very Philly. Like there was a sign like store for rent. We were like, hey, is the store for rent? And he's like, yeah, come by tomorrow. And then we saw it. And then we we I put my name on it three days later. Wow. So it's like it's it's a tiny um just mom and pop owned storefront mm-hmm. which is great also and like my landlord's really nice like it, it, it all it was all meant to yeah. be again and when when it came place. to like putting down the deposit mm-hmm. and then starting to work mm-hmm. with your friend to to build out the space uh, how are you mm-hmm. going to fund this yeah so the first i would say 
two years of Yowie was funded from my old job. So I had stock options through American Eagle because I'd been there for so long. So I had saved those up. I hadn't really touched those. And then I had a little nest egg of savings just like for me to live on since I wasn't, I was kind of working, but not really. Um, so it was like a, a savings little nest egg that I pulled from to do that. Um, next year, well, I guess it'll technically be this year when we close on the place will be the first year I've ever taken outside financing for Yowie. Okay. It's only up until this point been my own money bootstrapped and just recycling the funds that I get and putting it back into the business in some yeah. way. It's funny you mentioned that. We we had an interview with, with Melody Asani out and uh, she's based out in LA uh, and nice. she was sharing a similar thing about um, this mm-hmm. past year as well was the, the first time mm-hmm. that she actually thought about taking and has taken outside money. But for, for the most mm-hmm. part, she's been one of those entrepreneurs that's like, that's incredible. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fund it, re- mm-hmm. reinvest some of the proceeds from the company yep. into our growth. And it sounds like a kind of a, a similar direction for you. When you think about that, mm-hmm. was it more so that um, you didn't want to engage in that process or or maybe mm-hmm. you didn't need to? Where was um, Where mm-hmm. were you kind of on that? It was a little bit of both. I feel like we... We've been a pretty small, sustainable brand, and our goals are pretty achievable. Like, like I said, our goals are, you know, not million-dollar goals. It's like, I want us to grow the business a little bit so we can support more artists. Is kind of how I've always looked at it before even getting to the numbers. Um, so I think we didn't really need it yet. I think the the project that we're embarking on late this year and into next year is a two point five million-dollar project. You know, plus I don't have that's not that's a different ballpark yep. for Yowie yep. than we've been. Um, so it just was a next step that felt, it feels very right. Um, and the first time I had to really think about, okay, do I feel comfortable bringing on partners? Do I feel comfortable letting other people in the room? Cause I'm very proud and very protective mm-hmm. of the brand and where mm-hmm. it goes. Um, and what we put our name on, who we partner with. Like I-, I love having that control because I didn't have it in the past, you know, in my old career, I was just, told to design and I designed design stuff, stuff and, and wherever right, it goes right. it does. yeah <laughs> uh it's being sold in Dubai in a weird store like I can't do anything yeah. about it so like it's different yeah. now so yeah I think it's a mix of the protection and uh just knowing when the time is right because I think there's a pressure now to take on financing immediately yeah that's I I, I would agree and I didn't I didn't feel that yeah at all that was like it's kind of yeah. like the the story that's out there right now is like if you gotta yes. you have this business you need to go raise money you need yeah. to get a vc and, and all of these things yeah. and it's it's sometime you're like is that actually the case <laughs> that's like a a conversation a narrative that i think needs to be discussed more is that the small like businesses come in all sizes so like there are businesses that are really successful that don't have an online presence that um don't need to have millions of dollars in funding but the people are very comfortable and very happy and have a very strong mm-hmm. audience and then there are, you know, obviously these unicorn businesses that raise, you know, double digit millions and, you know, create this product for millions of people. And then there's people like me somewhere in the middle where it's like, we're not super tiny, but we don't want to be huge. And I think there's value in all of them. And to what we were just saying, it's like, you don't have to get financing to make your business valid. I think that's the part that I don't like about that conversation. Mm-hmm. And the reality is a lot of those businesses fail. Yeah. Like all businesses fail, but like it is such a long shot to be a successful VC company. Whereas for me, I'm like, oh, do we have money in the bank? Everyone is paid. Okay, okay cool. We're so chilling. <laughs> Let's keep going. Yeah. Like that's my thing. Like I don't need to be any, you know, have anything more than that. And I'm, and like I said a second ago, it's like 
oh, great, we had a great month. We can donate some money and we can invest in five more artists this month. Perfect. Those are my goals. It's, it's refreshing. Know, that's how I think about it. Yeah, it, it's yeah. so refreshing to hear a different take on what it means to be in business and, and not necessarily having to pursue a different direction, which is which is mm-hmm. really popular in kind of these entrepreneurial conversations that we hear a lot. Yes. Uh, as you were going into the the brick and mortar, what were what were you hoping your shop would be? Like what are some of the the items that you wanted to bring in and really represent mm-hmm. the offering of Yowie? I think we've from day one been really known for our handmade goods. So I love ceramics. Um, I knew ceramics had to be a big part of the space. I love art. I've been collecting art prints, I think, since high school. Uh, I was like a big early eBay person. Um, so I knew we'd have like really cool art in here. I wanted this space to feel somewhere between a gallery and an apartment and a store. So like it's warm, but it still feels very bright. And um, it has like a, a vibe about it or like a presence about it. But I never want it to feel intimidating. Um, I think it's taken us years to get there because we look still look very different from many stores in Philly. And we have like white floors, which was apparently something that people thought was bougie <laughs> when we first opened, um, stuff like that. So I think just making the space feel really warm and inviting. And I also have told anyone that's worked at the shop for me, I'm like, if anyone seems like nervous or like they're not supposed to be here, like I want you to immediately jump in and start like talking to them and ask them where they're from or, you know, talk to them about something in the shop. Like I, I want them to feel that immediate breakdown of, whatever pretentious thoughts they might have the store may think the store is thinking about Mm -hmm. them or not, you know? So I just want the space of forum and inviting and our new space is like even bigger. So I'm excited to like what we can do with more room to make it like a fun space right now. It just feels like a cute, tiny apartment, but you know, we have more room to play in the future. (laughs) Always more room to play with and expand kind of your creative visions for what's going to come to life. You know, we're definitely excited to see that. Uh, One thing I was thinking about is that when you're opening up this new space, you had kind of been in and out of Philly for a bit, right? Like you weren't completely Mm -hmm. dedicated into the the area. And so some of the relationships that you might've had growing up might not have been Mm -hmm there when you came back did you have any um anxiety around opening and if people were gonna like just run in the door or like what were you thinking yeah Yeah, it's like a weird feeling to come back to a place that you were like I'm out of here I gotta go like I I can't get it's it's not big enough for me here I need to leave (laughs) like that's a weird feeling to then come back and be like hey please like my thing that I'm doing now (laughs) you know so I think I had to get over the pride of that, the pride of, you know, the idea of returning mm-hmm. home. I actually don't think it's a big deal now that I'm older, but I think when you're younger, you're like, I could never go back. Like, I could never go home. And once I got here, it really did have so many things that I was missing in New York. Like, I, I love New York to this day. I lived there for almost 12 years. It's, an amazing, it's one of the coolest cities in the world. But there's lots about it that you just put up with because you live there. And then when you leave, you're like, wait, I never had a washer and dryer. Wait, I never lived near a grocery store. Like all these things that for years, I was just like, oh, it's fine. Like it's New York. Like, you know, like like it's not a big deal. And then I got back to Philly and I'm like, wow, I feel like really comfortable. I like joked with my friends. I'm like, I got back to Philly and like took my bra off. I'm like, it's comfortable (laughs) here. I'm chilling. I have a cute apartment in a cute neighborhood. It's not my whole paycheck. Like It's (laughs) It's not my whole paycheck. (laughs) Seriously. So I think the comfort of Philly was something that I needed at the time. And I think I needed that um, 
that almost like insulation to get over the fear of the big thing that I was mm-hmm. doing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's like literally jumping off a diving board to start my own brand with like a little nest egg of money. I'm like, I need to wear a coat. Like I need to put this thing around me that makes me feel like I can get right. through it. And I think Philly did that for wow. me. Wow. And so you're you're able to come back home and you're able to open up this mm-hmm. space and and people mm-hmm. people show up, right? And you start to have kind of this community. How are you getting the word out about your opening? What uh, what did you do? Yes. Yeah, so that's, sorry, I didn't quite answer your question. So yeah, so I didn't have many friends when I came back. I want to be very clear about okay. that. Um, and I had to, again, humble myself and be able to be vulnerable and reach out to new people that I wanted to be friends with or that I thought would appreciate, appreciate Yaoi. So I think I spent two or three days, like, what I would call like kerplunking or what my friend and I used to call like data mining on Instagram. And I'd like go to a gallery that I thought was cool. And then I'd like look at their followers and then I'm like, okay, this person's a painter, this person's an artist or a performing artist. I'd find all these people. I had an Excel sheet with their names, their emails, where I thought they might live. I think I had as well. Oh, you were and diligent. I, oh, I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> my research is like, yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> so I made this Excel document of a hundred and it's either 125 or 150 people. And I just cold emailed them and cold invited them to my pop-up. Um, and it was truly, I can probably find one of the emails. It's like, Hey, we've never met, just heard of you like through Instagram. I'm doing this pop-up, um, on September or whatever, please come by. I'd love for you to see it. And that was it. That is amazing. And the crazier part is that people came. <laughs> like people, I'm telling you personal touches, like fail like fail safe so people came and it was an amazing opening my first pop-up was really really successful Mm -hmm. and then it's really cool I look back at those photos now and I know everyone in the photos I mean Philly is also really small but I like like wow I like cold emailed these people and now Now you know them them. now your friends four years later it's it's, it's crazy because I don't think I've ever heard anyone (laughs) like go about inviting people to a pop-up like this because so many businesses are so reliant (laughs) just on online and you went online but you went offline (laughs) well we didn't really have a big following yet then I think we had maybe 1200 or 1300 followers Mm -hmm. because yeah I remember at the time being like "Ooh, we have 1300 followers like but that's still not that many people to like make this a successful event when you think about now I know like, you know, the actual engagement that you get from that number, right. like what that real mm-hmm. percentage is. So I was like, I have to go old school. Like, I mean, if I could go door to door, I probably would, <laughs> but I was just like, I'm just gonna find. And it was also, I think a, a way of finding who our audience yeah. was. I was like, I know our audience is going to be artists or people who are patrons of art. I know to, to try to find them at places that I would want to hang out. That's really how it started. Or like a friend, like a friend of mine, uh, Saeed, I was just like, hey, you seem cool. Can we get a coffee? And we literally had a coffee. <laughs> and like, I feel like it's just like being very, um, what is it, vulnerable. Yeah. That is yeah, like being... my, uh, that's my skill wow. is being like, hey. Come, come by. by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and you open this space, you start to develop this community and it wasn't just mm-hmm. uh, retail, right? Like you started to have like mm-hmm. workshops and things. Um, what what mm-hmm. were some of these events you were putting on? Yeah, we did, let me think, we've done so many. Uh, We did pop-ups with other people. One of the most fun ones we did was, um, my shop is across the street from a really good Italian restaurant, and we hired them or partnered with them to work on a course to dinner. We had a dinner in the store, and they ran the courses across the street from the kitchen 
throughout the dinner. Wow. And then everyone that was there got a custom plate that one of our artists made that you could take home with you as part of the That's dinner. That's incredible. I think that was like maybe three or four months after we opened. Uh, we did a really fun like women who appreciate cannabis event, like with like people that made pipes and different things. Um, we've done tons of artist talks. We did a lot of stuff around like connecting creatives to each mm -hmm. other. Like I felt like when I got back to Philly, um, the design scene was really segmented and fragmented and like people were like, I hang out with this crew <laughs> and this is that crew. And I'm like, you guys are all doing the same thing. Like you should be mm -hmm. friends. Yeah, like let's bring this together. So I was trying to be a bit of a bridge for just creatives of all types. Because yeah. um, I do think, you know, design is global and universal no matter what the medium is. Um, but yeah, we tried to treat it like almost like a playhouse that happened to a community center or a playhouse that happened to sell things. Like we still were selling stuff, but we really quickly became known for our events mm. and our uh, and parties. bringing yeah, bringing people together because likely yeah. there probably wasn't anyone else doing that, and so people are like, "Well, yeah. oh, this is cool. I could come to Yowie to kind of intermingle with a lot of these different people that may not do exactly yeah. what I do, but yeah. similar." brains and similar approaches to things and I can have this expansive mm -hmm. conversation with someone. Yeah. I think people were holding parties at their mm -hmm. shops. Like, I don't think I pioneered holding a party, but I think we were giving it a theme or a subject matter or like a focal point that people that can then bite off of that to start these conversations. You know, you weren't just like at a party having a drink in the corner, like, oh, the music's good. <laughs> You're like, oh, we're here to talk about, you know, this subject or that subject or we're at a dinner meeting strangers. It was just like one more step to um, break down that wall and break the ice for the people that were attending our events. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, well, while things are going well and like you're like you're starting mm -hmm. to pop up in like met press and, and media and getting a lot of a lot of love, <laughs> um, and you were like in Hype Bay, like all these places. Um, there are some challenges that that small businesses mm -hmm. do face, and some of those being like cash and staffing and. And also mm -hmm. this past summer, even dealing with COVID, mm -hmm. um, you last year, you actually launched a campaign to raise money um, mm -hmm. for your business. Uh, can you tell me a mm -hmm. little bit about um, what was the thought process of like, I'm going to actually mm -hmm. go raise money and what did you want to use it for? Yeah, I think um, for a really long time, Yowie was just me and I think I was comfortable with that because I didn't have to answer to anyone and I didn't have to figure out anything. Like I had interns, but I was, you know, the sole controller of everything. But I saw in the last year that we were gaining this momentum that it was like the dam was about to break. I was like, I can't do this anymore by myself because I think there's a lot of logistics that go on with owning a storefront that people don't understand. Uh, there's a lot with supply chain. All, all, over 50% of our products are handmade by artists and they don't work just for me, they work for themselves. So I can't, you know, I give them a parameter of when I want things, but I get them when I get right. them, you know, often. And that's like something that can be challenging at times. Um, and then just like you said, cash flow. So like, if we have a great month, I can buy more stuff. If we have a slow month, I kind of have to wait and see if we get more money in. Um, so it's just this, it was this ebb and flow of like keeping it going, but definitely having moments where like, we just weren't financially in a place to grow it in the way I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I would say in the past year, like over right before COVID, I started to see our sales start to pick up and started to see real growth for us. And also I started to see growth on the side, the side of, um, I started like a mini design studio within our okay. store. So we do consulting services, uh, art direction, interior design, and some branding stuff. 
But again, like I was doing everything. Wow, that's a lot for one person. Designing, I'm curating, I'm managing an intern, I'm like you know doing all these things, and then also trying to have a social life, (laughs) and I also volunteer. So it was just a lot. So I finally think I got to a place where I was like, I have to ask for Mm -hmm. help, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't make me a weaker founder and it doesn't make me incapable. It's just that I need to focus and to focus, I need to bring on someone else. So um, last, not this past July, July 2019 is when the nugget of this new uh, mixed-use space that we're going to launch probably early next year came about. Mm. And when I really started to flush that out, I was like, there's no freaking way I can do this by myself. (laughs) Like, it's impossible. Like... I cannot design a hotel that's also a store, that's also a photo studio, that's also a cafe, and also run the store and sleep at night. Like, there's just, it's not You would possible. never sleep. <laughs> no, and it's just, I'm, like, I'm past the, like, burning out is cool phase. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to do that. I was like, I need to find help. But I also knew that the store wasn't quite in a place to have a full-time person. Mm. So it was like, I've talked to a lot of other small businesses about this. I was like, I think I have to hire a full-time person. I'm so scared. And they're like, it is scary, but the money, you'll find the money, just like figure it out kind of thing. And I was like, no, I really don't have the money. (laughs) Like I got to ask for the money. (laughs) So that's when I decided to do the fundraiser and we were going to launch it in February and then COVID hit and it felt completely inappropriate at the time to ask for anything. Mm -hmm. I was just like, we're in a pandemic all of a sudden. No one knows what's happening. And I'm like, hey, I want to open a store in 2022. Can I have 70 yeah. grand? And everyone's like, get out of here. I was like, okay, I have to not do this right now. So I had to put it on pause. I just kept working behind the scenes on the store. And then our, like, when did it start? I would say like April, May. Mm-hmm. We closed the store in March. In April, May, there was this like, momentum like bubbling and I was like what is going on like the sales were like really starting to oh wow so you had like it was probably the opposite of what you were thinking you were thinking COVID no one's gonna spend money I was oh no but when you think about it I mean people have written about it now it's like we were all at home just like freaking out like we're just online Mm -hmm. freaking out we're trying to make ourselves feel better we're like I've been in my apartment for two weeks I hate everything in here I want new (laughs) stuff like that's like what everyone was Mm -hmm. going through And we're like, oh, did you? Here's a mug. And we just like happened to be there. And we were already um, very grateful to say a trusted source for some of these Mm -hmm. things. So people were like, oh, let me see what's happening at Yowie. So I saw our business start to stabilize. And then in June, it just exploded. Oh, my goodness. Like it completely exploded. And that was like, I'm still kind of, I don't go to therapy. I'm still working through the process of what happened in June because a lot of other Black founders I talked to, we were like, this is great, but also like, because of tragedy Mm. now we get all this attention Mm. and all of these sales and like doesn't quite feel right but also like we obviously have to take some of this opportunity and you know use it for good so once I saw our business starting to really pick up I was like we have to donate some of this Mm. money it like it just literally did not feel right to not give some of it away um so we raised over eight thousand dollars in June that we gave to eight local black organizations that is incredible um we it was, I've never given away money so fast. It felt so amazing. I was like, I want to be Oprah. This is so cool. <laughs> I was like, I've never, like, I donate like a couple hundred bucks throughout my life and I have all these causes, but I was like, wow, to like email a stranger and be like, hi, I'm sending you a thousand dollars. Love what you're doing. Have a great day. Oh my God. It was a high. It's a high. So we donated, it's amazing. So we donated money and I'm still figuring out like, 
how every month we can like find a product or a couple products that like we donate all the proceeds to consistently because mm-hmm. I didn't want it to feel like we were just doing it that mm-hmm. month. Like it should just the be ongoing part of a brand. Thing. Exactly. Ongoing and uh, have a long-term strategy. So we did that. And I'm telling you, ever since then, it has not slowed down. And I was very skeptical. I was like, these people are going to get bored with like, you know, activist shopping or, you know, whatever we want to call this, they're going to move on. But it really solidified for me that um, I've built something that people really resonate Mm -hmm. with. And I've been like an emotional wreck in a positive (laughs) way in the past five months of like, I like I tell my boyfriend, I'm like, people like love Yowie. It's crazy. crazy. Like I say that to him all yeah. the time. And I'm in disbelief still myself. <laughs> it's funny you say I'm that because like, it's really like it. you're the one who saw the opportunity to create it. But it probably <laughs> is still weird to like see people engaging with what you created. <laughs> it's it's such a strange feeling. And I think I think part I think it's a lot of things, but when I worked in design, I was an anonymous designer. Mm-hmm. So if you were wearing my designs, unless I came up and told you, you have no idea. And Yaoi is my child. I mean, it's a very personal brand. So much of my personal um, things that I love and things that I resonate with are in the brand. Like people know I love movies. People know I love books. People know I love ceramics. That is the brand. So to have something so naked about me out in the public space and they're like, yeah, we with this heavy. And I'm like, <laughs> like, it just feels crazy for people to, if you feel like, oh, wow, people like, like what I'm doing and they like parts of yeah. me, yeah. you know, which is weird. And I think the, the cutest and sweetest thing I saw all summer was people were meeting one another that were carrying yaoi totes and like sending me photos like through Instagram being like, I met this stranger on the street. And I was like, I love Yowie too. And I was just like, okay, you guys are, I'm a cancer. I'm like, you're going to be crying like every day. It's insane. So I, that is my proudest moment is not financial. It's that people love our brand and it's like this invisible handshake Mm. of design Mm -hmm. lovers and Philly lovers and small business lovers, black owned business lovers. It, it really connects all kinds of people in a way that I could have never imagined. I think I just still can't believe what's happening. It's, it speaks like, volume yeah. to what you've been able to, to create and how you've been able to <laughs> really wrap your rant, your brand around community. And they see that. Yes. And so when they see each other outside, it's like, oh, we have shared values. Like this is, this is dope. Yes. Another person that, that shops at uh, Yoey and also engages with the, with the, with the brand Yaoi. Um, tell me about, well, what's happening next? So you've been, you've been in business for five years and you've Mm -hmm. been able to take care of yourself. You, you now bring it on Mm -hmm. staff and you kind of alluded to a multi-purpose space and and maybe raising some more money. So tell me what's going on. Yes. Yeah. So we turned five this May, which is really exciting. Um, and we started online, like I mentioned, we opened the store in 2017, And we started the, or I started the studio, I would say like 2019, Mm -hmm. really, realistically. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's still like not even really a studio. It's like me doing consulting work and me now me and my assistant. But I just started to see really quickly with every milestone that like I wanted to do more or I wanted us to be about Mm -hmm. more. And I never, ever, ever want our brand to be known for one thing. Like if, when someone says like, oh, you're this. And I'm like, mm, no, we're other things too. It like bothers me. <laughs> like that's the easiest way to insult me to be like, you're only known for this. And I'm like angry. So because of that, I was like, why can't we be a store and a cafe 
and a photo studio, which is, again, another opportunity that I see in Philly. There's tons of creatives here um, that are creating content, have their own brands, uh, creating fun stuff with friends. I'm like, why can't we own a photo studio? And then above all this, why can't we own a hotel and be this hub Mm. for Philly where people are like, we're your first stop. You come, you put your stuff in the room. We hand you one of our very specific guides to the city. You go around the city. You come back and hang out with us at night and do the workshop or something. I was like, why can't that be us? And my friend and I, Everett, worked on the idea for probably about a year. We went back and forth talking through how it would work. He's um, he's become my partner now, um, but working through like financing because I'm obviously terrible with money. I started a business that I didn't want to make money. Like I'm an idiot. So <laughs> so he was like, uh, it's got to make money. So he's helping me figure out the financial piece and then also just how all these things would feed into each other. And at the end of it took a full year, I would say, of back and forth. So July of last year, I was like, I think it's it's ready. Like, I think it makes sense. I, I made, I was very proud of myself. I made a very uh, design-centric pro forma of how I thought the numbers mm. could work. I did, I'm telling you, I'm a research nut. I did tons of research on the other hotels in the area, who's our competition, what people are looking for when they're traveling, everything. And he looked at me, he's like, all right, I think, I think you're ready. I think this is real. Like, let's figure mm-hmm. it out. And I told him, I was like, the first step is I need an assistant designer. Like I need someone that can help me grow that part of the business because I think that part of the business is going to be huge for us if we continue in the trajectory we will. So I told him I wanted to do this fundraiser. He's like, I, he's like, I think you'll be fine. I was like, I don't know if I can raise this much money. And it feels still like a weird time. And we made our goal. We raised $77,000. Um, I have a full-time design assistant, Sierra, that's paid through our fundraiser yeah. that we raised six months ago. And we, um, I told you right before we started the call, I sold my house this morning. <laughs> 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 the timing is right, crazy. Right. Um, so I bought a rental property. So I didn't get into this because it's kind of related to business and kind of not. But um, when I did cash in my stocks from American Eagle, I used half of it for Yowie and I used the other half to buy this rental property mm. in South Philly. And at the time, my mom was like, you have to buy real estate. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. <laughs> and I just held on to it since 2013. And then it felt so magical today to sell it, to put into my business. Wow. Like I'm putting it into Yowie. So I am a partner on both the buildings, on the building side. And then I fully own Yowie myself. What? That is incredible. Like, it, yeah. like that is like, you know, you think about the McDonald's story and they talk about how McDonald's is... A lot of people don't understand that McDonald's is actually a real estate company. So uh, all of the land that McDonald's operates on, they own. The buildings Mm -hmm. they own. And so so for you, it allows you to be more in control of your rent Mm -hmm. structure and, and some of those different things. Because as business owners, you know... The, the rent is something that could fluctuate oh and really God. disrupt all yeah. of your planning. <laughs> yeah. And I think I saw like one of my neighbors down here, she had been in her building for over five years and it was sold and the landlord tried to like double their mm-hmm. rent. And I was like, I never want to be in this position where I've built something and then someone can just rip it away mm-hmm. from me. So I did, I wasn't sure if this is how we would end up with the partnership, but I did tell him, I was like, if there's a way I can be a part of the building, I'd like to. And it was very important to him as well um, that I was part of building. So like, I am very, very aware that I'm very fortunate um, that I have a business partner that respects my vision Mm. and also is like my biggest cheerleader to get this project off the ground. So 
like until I think we signed the paperwork in January, like until January of this year, I did everything by myself. All the financing was myself. And as of next year, the building, not Yowie, will be funded through me and three business partners. Um, and each brings a different strength. One is really good at finance. One is a contractor and engineer. And one is really amazing at operations. And we all have like very specific roles, which is really beautiful. And they like love and respect my brand. I like that's the biggest thing. Like they don't want to like change it in any way. They're just like, we're going to help you get the building and ops set up and you just do your thing. Do your thing. And I'm like, how did I, <laughs> this is so cool. I can't believe it. So like going back to what we talked about earlier, like I do not have VC funding. I do not have angels. I have business partners um, that are coming out with me and I'm also investing as well. So the four of us are all investing in the project. And this is, this is so incredible. <laughs> and just, you know, sitting here thinking about your story and, what all you've, you've been able to do, right? So being able to go into fashion and be a designer and then over the last five years, um, really transform into a business owner and, and really doing it in mm-hmm. your own way, not really being, mm-hmm. uh, feeling like you're being forced to follow a path just because of maybe what's the popular narrative. Uh, I wanted yeah. to ask you one last thing. When you, when you mm-hmm. uh, think about young creatives, do you have any advice mm-hmm. for them that might have entrepreneurial ideas and maybe want to follow in your footsteps? Mm-hmm. I think the hardest, the the one I tell people is the hardest one is really to try to find your own path. Like, cause that, that was the hardest one for me. But then once I did, like, it feels so right right now. Like, I feel like I could lose sleep right now being like, should we go bigger? Like, should we roll this out in many cities? Like, I don't want to, you know, and that's that was part of the reason I went with this financing model or this business model is that I'm not looking to duplicate this in all these different cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Philadelphia project by a Philadelphia native for the city and then for people that come to the city. So I think like if there's any way to find either a mentor or like a group of friends that can help you see that your vision can be specific to your goals and you don't have to follow that path. I think that's one of the biggest things um, because there's so much pressure out there. And honestly, it makes me really sad. Like I have a, I'm in, like in my you know late thirties and I have a ton of you know early twenties customers and friends of the shop that come in and tell me like, I made this thing and I put it up and like, didn't get much traction. And I'm like, oh my God, like get off the internet. <laughs> like it's just, but I, but I know that's impossible. Right. You know, I know that that's like, not possible to like completely disengage from Instagram or Twitter or the validation of those platforms. But, you know, I, I, I just, I love minding my business and building Yowie. <laughs> it's like my favorite yeah. thing to do is just be like, I'm, I'm doing my thing over yeah. here. Like hopefully people like it and you know the people that like it will keep right. liking it, you know, but that's really hard to do. And then I think the other thing I would say is um, what I mentioned a few times earlier is just like, personal touches go such a long way. It's, we, I know we're like, most things are digitally native now. And I think there's ways to do it through email and stuff, but like, there is nothing that can replace a hand. Thank you. note. nothing like nothing at all. There's nothing that can replace following up with someone that maybe thinks that you, you know, forgot about them, or maybe they like, there's customers I'll reach out. I'm like, Hey, we just got this new thing. And like, we're just like friends over DM. And they're like, so excited that I thought of them. Like, that goes a really, really long way. And that creates like lifetime loyalty fans and friends and customers. So I think personal touches, um, 
any ways that you could connect outside of product, I think are huge. Like, I feel like I was thinking about the other day how people for a while were getting mad at Kanye because they're like, he only comes out, he wants to sell us something. <laughs> like, you never want to be that. Like, you you know what yeah. I mean? You never want people to think that about you. You want to think that you're always, kind, that you're always kind of on each other's mind and then you happen to share this new project with right. them. Right. So I think that that's really important is keeping this uh, line of communication open but at the same time, actually, they're talking about that, like, do not take every piece of feedback and think that, like, it, you need to follow it or dissect it or that it's going to rip you apart. Like, some feedback's great and some feedback is just people projecting and trying to get their ideas off on you and you need to just, like, keep going. That was Shannon Maldonado, owner of Yali, that decided that home is where the heart is. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Find out more about Shannon and get access to all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Claim of Stories. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo, original music, production, and scoring by Adrian Anaya, with vocals provided by Rosella. And special thanks also to VDOT, Professor H, Jordan Dinwiddie, and Lily Lynn. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to Claim of Stories. <laughs>